0: this episode of the major spoilers podcast goes out to jim rockford hey uh it did bounce and if you want we can tear it up or we can just you know leave it with the others over here
1: the major spoilers podcast is sponsored in part by the mid ohio con october 3rd and 4th in columbus ohio for more information visit midohiocon.com The show is also sponsored in part by Past Generation Toys. Past Generation Toys has a large selection of Star Wars, G.I. Joe, and Marvel toys. Visit them on the web at pastgenerationtoys.com. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later.
2: I'm Matthew, I'm Rodrigo,
1: and I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and
0: comic fans. In this issue, Batman actually has a weakness, but is he actually stronger for it? Restructuring in DCE, uh, yeah, Superman, I'm, I'm gonna need you to move your Fortress of Solitude right up against that back wall, so if you could just do that. That'd be great. They call him Cyclops, but he also got eyes in the back of his head. Plus, Steven interacts with Poe White Trash, and this time it ain't just me and Justice! Shirtless barbarians duke it out for no reason at all. rodriguez Deus Cho fights for the right to call himself 447,967 smartest person in the world. And look into my eyes. What do you see? I tell you, one and one make three. I am The Major Spoilers Podcast, and I'm on the air.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast.
3: Major Spoilers Podcast!
1: (laughs) Who would have thought that the Disney-Marvel deal would not follow up a week later with big news from another company?
3: Mm. It's like Uh. the day
1: after we recorded last week's show. We said, oh, I don't know if there's any news that can top the Marvel-DC or the Marvel-Disney deal. It was DC comes around and says, well, we're going to restructure. Paul Levitz is stepping down. Diane Nelson, who I did mention in last mm-hmm. week's full episode, mm-hmm. is taking over, going to be reporting. She's now going to be kind of the the uh, the head of DC Entertainment. It's been rebranded. <laughs> yes, it's been transformed into something brand new. Here's from the press. Here's from the press release. DC Entertainment, a separate division of Warner Brothers Entertainment International, will be charged with strategically integrating the DC Comics business brand and characters. This key word here deeply into Warner Brothers Entertainment and all its content and distribution businesses. DC Entertainment, which will work with each of the Warner Brothers divisions, will also tap into the tremendous experience the studio has in building and sustaining franchises and prioritize DC properties as key titles and growth drivers across all the studios, including feature films, television, interactive entertainment, direct-to-consumer platforms, and consumer products. Blah, blah, blah. On and on it goes. Right. Diane Nelson is great. Paul Levitz will be stepping back into Adventure Comics. Yada, yada, yada. What does that news mean to you, That those key phrases that I was reading, Rodrigo? What does that mean to you? What does that strike? Anything strike your fancy there?
2: Um... What this says to me is granted this was probably in the works for a while, but what this says to me is like, holy crap. Relevance check. We need to we need to do something. Uh, you know, Marvel just bought or Disney just bought Marvel. We need to get DC's name up on the headlines again. Pow. Restructure time. That's what it's like.
1: Yeah, and this me. was actually was something that had been in the works yeah. for a while because Diane Nelson had actually her position was kind of announced that Paul Levitz would be reporting to her as far back as Maybe a week or two before San Diego Comic-Con. So this Mm -hmm. is something that's kind of been in the works, but you're right. Wouldn't surprise me that with this Disney Marvel deal that Paul Levitt said, okay, I'm not the front man. I don't like to be out in front of people to begin with. Let's put her out there. She's got the uh, film background with the Harry Potter and really just Harry Potter, I think, is her big thing. Mm -hmm. She is a Harry Potter? Hey,
3: Sorry,
0: what? Matthew,
1: what do you think of this of the statement? There's some key key words here, key indicators there that oh, uh, huh. should tell people which direction D.C. Well, entertainment is going over
0: the next couple of years. I think it's time to to, you know, reconsider the words of the great philosopher Jules Winfield, who said, oh, well, allow me to retort. I think what it really breaks down to is buzzword, 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 branding, corporate synergy, buzzword, buzzword. Oh, my God. Marvel did what? Buzzword, buzzword, buzzword. And, hey, The Legion may be written by Paul Levitz again. For all intents and purposes, I said it last week when the DisVail deal went through, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of change in the actual product. Oh, I don't Except think so in as much as we may see a higher profile. You know, we may see, hey, DC Entertainment says this and DC Entertainment says that. Now, isn't Joe Quesada running Marvel Entertainment or is he's that not a the, separate? He's branch? not the president. He just runs the comic books. I thought Marvel Entertainment was the portion. Eh, it doesn't matter. What we're looking at, I think Rodrigo nailed it. Hit it right on the head. Is definitely DC had something in the works. It was you know a little restructuring. Marvel's announcement forced them to turn it into something or try to turn it into something enormous. Um, all told, I think it's a good thing. I think that what this means is that. We're going to be fostering some strong competition to where DC is at least, you know, ready to respond to any wackiness that Disvale comes up with. And they're like, um, it turns out that Wolverine is actually, uh, Mortimer Mouse. I don't know. I think it's good. I, you know, people say you're a DC guy, you like DC better. No, I like good comic books. I could give a flying rat's ass who wrote them, who produced them, whose money is behind them. And I think that two companies with this kind of, I want to say, creative gumption, but there's also, you know, the question of let's, let's, you know, here's some money. We're restructuring, here's some money, and here's how we're going to do this. And you're going to make movies, you're going to make underwear, and you're going to have McDonald's put together a Batman uh, meal, and we're going to do all this, you know. Worst case scenario, it's, it's higher profile for our hobby to maybe five years down the line, ten years down the line. It won't be the three of us in our basement while all the kids are playing Dance Dance Revolution on the intar web. Ooh, yes,
1: I would uh, kind of agree with you there, Matthew. There's probably not going to be a lot of big changes going on. But there's one thing that this paragraph that I read that is really, really going to affect what we see from D.C., Strategically integrating the DC comic business brand and characters deeply into Warner Brothers entertainment. Merchandising. That's what we're talking about. Merchandising. Merchandising. That big, big money that uh, can be made off this deal. It's not bad enough that we can't walk into uh, any store and go back to the the clothing rack, the t-shirt aisle, and see Batman shirts, Superman shirts, Green Lantern shirts, Flash, Wonder Woman, all this stuff. We're going to see even more of that stuff. Mm. Even more. Merchandising.
0: All over the place. Okay. Hopefully they'll actually get up into the sizes that most of the fanboys I know are going
2: to be. Because, they're like,
0: we'll get to a 2X. And I'm like, well, great. You covered 30% of my fan base. What else she got?
3: <laughs>
0: I, I was one 2X guy. Was, and then in the ninth grade.
1: The other thing that's kind of cool about this is I think, and this happened, man, this happened when Iron Man took off, mm-hmm. like a uh, shot. And, uh, your name. and when they started Jarrah's to play. integrate the um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson into that, and you could tell that they were building into the Avengers movie, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers had a compound a year ago, a powwow last year, where they brought everybody in and said, "Well, what are we going to do with this m- movie franchise thing?"
2: Now, in this place, what they were meeting, where they're like a bunch of guys like standing outside, uh, guarding it, going back and forth, going, "Oh, we yes, yo. I'm probably we sure it was."
1: I think at this point, Warner Brother realizes that they need to really seriously consider what properties they have and how they can merchandise those and how they can turn them into movie properties that might sell and go over big. Something that they haven't done for a long time. I mean, look, they pretty much have sat on Batman and uh, Superman for 30 years and really have not done much with either of those properties in movie form with the exception of these last couple of Batman movies, which have really taken off. Mm -hmm.
0: Are you kidding me? No, I'm serious. They've done literally a dozen movies with these two characters. I, I know, not consider but what that have they done? What have
1: they done with those movies? Okay, the first Batman movie was good. The one in nineteen eighty nine was pretty good. Okay. But after that, downhill, 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 let's crank them out, let's crank out some Joel Schumacher m- m- bat nipples and well, call it funny, but, and then let's do it. But how much crap what? did they sell off of it? I remember well, it, like yeah, Racks being just stuffed Not with Riddler bad. stuff. But they really treated it, especially with that fifth Batman movie, they really treated the franchise like crap.
0: They really said, they, we don't no, really no, no, care. No, no. you really don't you're care. You are mistaking. You're mistaking uh, the creativity. You're mistaking whether the product was good with whether the product was successful. All of the Batman movies, even that fifth crappy Batman movie, what was it? Batman and Friends? Yeah. What killed the dinosaurs? Those made money. Now, they may not have made thousands of billions of dollars and they certainly didn't make anybody happy, but they made some serious bank. So, I mean, whether they were good or not, I don't necessarily think that, you know, we can look at that and say that that's an indicator that DC, you know, wasn't trying. They were handing I, things over maybe to Joel Schumacher, who was a little nuts. Or, I mean, even the second Tim Burton film was about two shades off plum. But, right. You know, it, it,
1: the thing is, with Batman Begins, and especially with The Dark Knight, they really then started to realize that, hey, people are starting to take these, uh, take these movies a little bit more seriously. And they can be more than just a joke. And
3: you've got to admit,
1: agree. with Arnold Schwarzenegger as Iceman, that movie was a joke. Right. I do not agree with you, simply because. And, and I shall also point out to you, Matthew, that Batman and Robin was not a successful movie. It cost $125 million to make. To date, has only brought in $107 million.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. If I only had $107 million, I would never work again. Now, Well, I, if you paid $125 I will, I will, million. I, will, <laughs> I will, Hang on. Okay. I will say this for you. You are a rabid Batman fan. No, I'm not. I really. do I do I, I, I I'm not taking issue with what you're saying in terms of what you're actually meaning, I think. I'm taking issue with the way you're stating it. To say that they weren't taking it seriously until the Dark Knight. The Dark Knight, and you know, don't get me wrong, I don't mean this in a bad way. The Dark Knight and Batman Returns or Batman Begins or Batman Gerund, proper noun, whatever it is. These are not serious movies. These are superhero movies. They're done from a darker angle. Right but they still have the same thought process behind them in that, oh, well, it's a Batman movie, so we have to have this, and we have to have two villains in every movie to make sure that we process the sell if, through.
1: And I mean, if they had done the Batman franchise correctly, okay, and I'm not saying you know, we could argue this till the cows come home, right. but if they had done the Batman franchise correctly, we would not have seen, what, an eight, eight-year, almost ten-year gap between five and the reboot. We would have seen the James Bond-type Movie franchise where we kick out a movie every couple of years, and we continue to do it, and we have thirty Batman or thirty James Bond movies.
2: Yeah, but not even James Bond does they're, that anymore.
1: And well, they are kind of trying to do that every couple of years. They're trying to do that. The thing is that I'm trying to get to Matthew is they're really taking their comic book property. Warner Brothers is a huge conglomerate. They're taking this this comic book property, and they're realizing, hey, we've got more than just Batman and Superman, mm-hmm. and we can make some money off of this stuff if we do it right. And that's what I'm excited about. And I think Diane Nelson is somebody that knows how to take a property and coax it and mature it and bring something that's super worthwhile to the table. So that's what I'm excited about.
0: I think their main problem is going to be taking the forward-looking Batman franchise with the the backward-looking, the the retro... Good feeling. Hey, wasn't Christopher wonderful Superman franchise? Right. And in finding some way to actually bring those together without negating the premise of both.
1: Now, Diane Nelson did go on record uh, to MTV Splash Page this, this past week as well. And she says, We actually don't have any current plans for Superman. Okay. Nothing for the near future. So don't expect another Superman Returns Part 2. Don't expect. Well, thank
0: another. God. In fact, the. Uh, was-
1: in fact, well, that's what I mean, talking about a, taking a movie seriously. Brandon Ralph's, uh, Roth's uh, but- uh, contract has expired, has lapsed. you know, mm-hmm. for him to make the sequel. So, you know, unless they're going to do something different. We've seen the Wonder Woman project been shelved. Uh, yeah. Right now, Flash has also been kind of shelved or pulled back. Mm-hmm. So right now, in production, we only have Lobo and Green Lantern, which is currently shooting in Australia, uh, that are confirmed Warner Brothers comic book properties that we would we would
0: know outright mm-hmm. i still think you're saying taking it seriously when you mean making a good movie but otherwise <laughs> well, i agree I, I would i would say that if you're being serious about a movie you can make a good movie out of it that is not true ed wood <clears throat> was serious about everything he ever made <laughs> <laughs> you know who else is serious about his movies herschel gordon lewis man makes good stuff but i would not call them quality films <laughs> what about uh, paul levitt steps down
1: and going back into the funny books Matthew, this should strike you
0: as a as a big topic for you. Oh, well, to some degree, yeah. Um, Levitz was responsible for probably—I won't say the biggest, but one of the biggest periods of Legion of Superheroes history. So,
1: which I period would that, that be for people that are not familiar with the Legion, like
0: Rodrigo? That would start roughly about 1978, lead through the Great Darkness saga. Uh, into the launch of the volume three legion of superheroes the baxter title where it was a big big to-do where you had lots and lots of Oh, the legion is one of our top seller books going into an ending right at the point where legion of superheroes volume three ended it would have it would have quizlet
2: yay
0: <laughs> paul levitz did invent quizlet and Tellus. paul levitz i believe either wrote the story that brought block into the legion or took over immediately after the story that brought Block into the Legion. But most importantly, Paul Levitz is responsible for a lot of the tropes. (laughs) (laughs) I owe Rodrigo a dollar that we think about with the Legion, such as Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad having, you know, their happy family and Mm -hmm. cosmic boys, tortured romance with Night Girl and Block and the White Witch and their little on again, off again. Is it a romance? Is it not? The, Polar Boy being the eager beaver new kid and driving everybody a little bit nuts, but still, you know, loving the Legion so much. That's a Levitt's thing. So so I would say – Go ahead. It's interesting. What it, what it really means is people are going to be complaining because look at it this way. You know who else was responsible for a wonderful period in Legion history? Jim Shooter. Yeah. Jim Shooter did, what, 12 issues, 15 issues of the new book? And it took about an issue and a half before people started going, this isn't what I thought I was going to get from Shooter. Well, do you think people are going to say that about Levitz? Oh, always. People will say that about anyone. People would say that, you know, if, the, if it were written, if it were drawn by Michelangelo and written by Edgar Allan Poe, people would look at the comic book and go, eh, Da Vinci did it better. Uh, Dan DiDio. Posted up, posted up on
1: the uh, DC boards. Paul is returning to the title he made great as both a writer and an editor of Venture Comics. And with his eyes set to the future, he brings several of his favorite characters with him. Well, who do you think? Do you know who his favorite characters were, Matthew? Quizlet. Tell us. Gates. Well, <laughs> Snake let me, with let Robot me, arms? Let me take a moment here and point out that Paul <laughs> Levitz never
0: wrote Adventure Comics. Adventure Comics was actually canceled roughly 1982. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think what they mean is he's returning to the Legion and bringing some of the characters that he liked with him. Um, I know he was responsible for Darkseid. Okay. Not creating Darkseid, but Darkseid interacting with the Legion. Okay. Um, this is the Legion that he wrote back in the day, Uphill Both Ways. So this Legion picks up from the middle of his previous run of Legion. So, I have hopes, but then I always have hopes. I like Levitz's writing. He did, the last thing I remember him was he did the arc that ended the original JSA book before it was relaunched as Justice Society America and Alex Ross to death. All right. I tell you what, everybody, you can
1: comment if you haven't already. And you will. Well, I'm sure they will. Of course, everybody. We love everybody who comments on our site. Everybody. everybody. Names, everybody names, that, names that everybody is familiar with: Salieri, Stacy B, uh, Navare,
0: um, that one guy with the thing. The other, yeah, one, that the, one guy, the, the one with great. the face on his head and the thing. You know, it, 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 we could go on and on, and, and we probably will. Rico and and <laughs> Roller Lums and and, and uh, Mila and
2: and, and Bob. And Mila.
0: Tequila, yeah. Tequila, and uh, that girl who keeps wanting to sell me Ambien. Yeah. You guys don't see her comments. <laughs> Those forums, guys, are great. You know who the best
1: people are at the major spoiler site? The people that donate. Yeah.
2: Love them. <laughs> they, are, you can get a special. they are our good friends. You can get a Even special shout-out. Even though his check out.
1: bounced, we love Jim Rockford. Yes, we do. We need to have a discussion about uh, Jim Rockford again in the very near future. Yeah, let's For do For people that. who have never experienced Jim Rockford the way Rodrigo has never experienced Jim Rockford. That's right. Uh, you can get a Matthew dedication at the top of the show if you just uh, kick in a few bucks, 10 bucks. That's a few. That's two comic books these days. That's right. Yes. $380. Uh let Let's see, because every little bit helps keep our site going for another month, mm-hmm. and it helps continue to grow, and it helps that you're part of the major, expo- major Spoilers experience. We love each and every one of you who take part in everything we do. We also have that phone number, that comment line. We love playing comments from uh, listeners when they send stuff in. All you have to do is contact us at 785-727-1939, and we will get you on the show as well. That's the top news stories you can find, certainly a lot more news, over at Majorspoilers.com, which brings us to reviews.
3: Reviews. I, I am
1: the same way. Sorry about that. All right. Rodrigo, what have you got for us this week? What do you bring into the table?
2: Okay. I <laughs> picked up kind of on a whim, uh, Incredible Hercules number 133 oh. from Marvel. Okay. Which was a good one to pick up because it's basically a, you know, it, it talks, it's like the the mysterious origin of Amadeus Cho, which isn't mysterious because we basically saw the whole thing. In this um, book? It, and this book is actually a big recap of what Incredible Hercules has been up until now. Ah, okay. It's it's that that dreaded like late season recap episode. Um. So you get to see. So it's a flashback of. It is. It's, it's. It's. Amadeus. Do you remember back in Amadeus episode we were trapped in the refrigerator? Amadeus is in is on a bus and he finds a book called The Hero's Journey. What? Ah. Um, so he starts reading through it, and is it you the
1: hero's hero's journey that we know of it, as uh, the, Joseph the, Campbell?
2: The the book talks about that, and it talks about like Carl is it Carl Jung, 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 Jung. Yep. Um, and you know mm-hmm. he it, it goes into that, but it's it's not supposed to be exactly that book. The okay. book references it. Okay. And you know it starts to talk about it's it's like a self help book about how to apply the the hero's journey to your own life. Oh, okay. And he's like it's reading not called through the it. letter. Yeah. Huh.
1: <laughs> it's not called the letter. Are you sure? That's another mm,
2: oh, self-help book. Uh. Um, but he's reading through it and he's like, Oh, well, actually this is pretty easy, seeing as how I, you know, basically did this and this and you know, I remember Hercules did this and I remember when the Hulk came down and I was all like, hey, Hulk, and then I was like, Oh, Hulk, what you had to do and do that, and so on and so forth. Running through this whole thing, he's kinda keeps finding himself in like these weird places where things aren't working out the way that he thinks they're supposed to work out um being an extremely smart kid he can frequently essentially predict things that are going to happen yeah. just by calculating chaos theory in his brain okay um and in the, the this whole thing degenerates into like flying brains attacking him sounds like an episode of futurama it's actually pretty cool um and There's this moment, probably the best moment in in this particular storyline, where he's like, oh, these brains are about to zap us. So if I calculate this, and I jump right now, and he jumps, and they zap, and nothing happens. He's like, ha-ha, I calculated right. And then it's like, bazaap, and they knock him out. And he's like, this place has different math. How is that possible? (laughs) Okay. Um, Which is pretty great, and as it turns out, it's all a big plot by uh, what's his name, Pythagoras Dupree. It's not Pythagoras Dupree. Pythagoras Dupree. The he's Justice's sixth,
0: third cousin. Just
2: the Justice! sixth smartest man in the world. Now wait,
1: he's the. How do they calculate the smartest man's in the world? I don't know. What does well, what Amadeus of all,
0: Cho? What does he rank? To make the first ten, you have to not say smartest
1: man's. <laughs> Amadeus Cho is the,
0: is the fifth smartest man in the world. Oh, okay. Well,
1: obviously he can't be
2: if. Right. Ra- 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 and, is And and it's assumed three. that like all of the big Marvel heavyweights are up there. You know, they the never Dr. like go Doom. down. Doctor Doom, Reed Richards, uh, Bruce Banner, Tony Stark. So I believe
0: I actually did the official rundown on the I website know. a couple of weeks ago. I think, but I can't remember. I, yeah, and I want to say. Um, Barbie is in there.
2: Yeah, Pepper Potts.
3: <laughs> she Pepper is Pots, so rich yeah.
2: by now. Just, to, just getting royalties off of uh, Iron Man's armor color because she picked it out. Ah, uh, she made it. Ah, she mixed it herself. She's a smart girl. Anyway, <laughs> we're gonna go with. Uh, we're gonna go with four slices of meatloaf. I like Amadeus Cho. I've I've liked the character ever since I kind of first started getting into Incredible. Uh, Hercules and then Marvel stops in this stuff <laughs> um, so I haven't kept up with it but I, I really want to I like the Hercules title it's kind of sad that Hercules kind of isn't in this issue he's in there in flashbacks but other than that it's fine and I liked it and I liked it
1: <laughs> alright that is Hercules number 133 from Marvel Comics Matthew what do you got for us Oh, I don't know. Oh, we got to continue on with some Marvel
0: goodness. Do you have some Marvel, Marvel goodness? goodness. I got plenty not. of Marvel goodness. Of late in the X titles, they've been introducing some sort of concept with the thing, the face, and the foin' Leuven. Um, and I've actually started reading and put on my pull list, Uncanny X Men. Wow. I have in my right hand. A copy of Dark Avengers colon Uncanny X-Men Exodus, which is the end of Matt Fraction's really pretty impressive arc, Utopia, in which Scott Summers and Norman Osborn have gone head-to-head over whether or not the mutants are going to die, 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 die. This one opens with kind of a puzzling moment and a moment that threw me, really bugged me. Um, There's a flashback to a sequence we've seen previously. The Beast breaks into Cyclops and Emma Frost's bedroom and tells them that he won't have the secrets anymore and he won't stay anymore. And they start to talk. Mm-hmm. And there's about a page and a half of them talking and he finally, you know, tries to tell her something and then the scene ends with a note that says, to be continued in Dark X-Men, The Confession, one shot. Oh, I hate it when they do that. Honestly, I know, it it's a through the book, sequence. It's really interesting. Because this is what happened before Emma joined uh, 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 uh Osborne's little strike force. Ah, okay. So this is, you know, theoretically going to be important. And it, it bugs me because it feels like that whole Civil War, Captain America, Iron Man, the conversation one shot. Yeah. That literally was just a conversation. It should have been a three-page sequence in the book and it got its own issue. But then, you know, one Avengers story arc now has five books to tell it in. So I got that going for me, which is nice. Um, At the end of Utopia, which I believe was last week in Dark Avengers number eight. And last week, of course, is theoretical. I'm going to say last week because I just reviewed it. Hello, future people. Scott managed to somehow raise an island. The island of Alcatraz higher in the ground and create this big floating mutant reservoir or
2: floating city
0: (laughs) in the san francisco bay and the dark avengers and the dark x-men you know crash in going arga garga arga garga and scott and norman osborne have a couple of interesting general moments colossus beats the snot out of venom and you know what i loves me some colossus We get a little bit with X-23 fighting Daken and Weapon Omega blowing up and then Wolverine leaping in and saying, you killed a mess of my pals. You don't get to walk away from that. You know, there's some interesting bits going on. Archangel gets to fight Bullseye and they take down the Sentry. Wow. Yeah, with Namor the Submariner, And of course, that leaves Ares. Well, and this is the thing that I think is cute. When I was a kid... The new mutants went to Asgard, and it was all acute adventure and blah blah blah. And later, Danny Moonstar became a Valkyrie of Apocalypse. Why? Eh, it's not worth asking. Um, but Danny is once again a Valkyrie, a goddess, and fights Ares to a standstill. So essentially, Scott Summers is the ultimate comic geek. He's calling on 40 years of continuity to figure this all out. Nice. Iceman. Iceman takes down the mimic, which makes sense because at one point the mimic was the leader of the X Men and Iceman never really cared for him. And, you know, we break through the whole thing. We go, we fight. There's some sequence with uh, a really lovely, I think it's a Terry Dodson Emma Frost in her old Bustier and Panties costume. Yeah. I didn't realize how much I missed the whole Bustier and Panties costume. Is that really a costume? Yeah, it was a sure. bustier and panties. Uh, she also I had... I uh, tell my wife she needs to dress up in one of these. She had uh, high uh, costumes, boots and a work. cape and a choker. And, you know, she had those evening gloves. And, man, I'm telling you, I, I like me that costume. It's I bet you a, in Vegas
1: and, we could find plenty of girls dressed in that costume. Yeah, but they won't. they won't be fighting super
0: crime, though. You know, it's really awesome. <laughs> is If you go to the oh, right place in Topiki, you can find lots of guys dressed in that costume. <laughs> but... Uh, Essentially, Scott pulls some really smart moves, and he takes Ares out. He takes the Sentry out. He takes Weapon Omega out. And it comes down to literally overpowering the people with a, a, an X-Men team that's like 35 men strong. And then at the end, he manages to confront Norman Osborn on television. Oh, yeah? Calling him this, this out imp- or just this fighting is important. him? important. The fight goes and they fight, they fight, they fight. And all of a sudden television cameras arrive and Scott steps forward and tells him, I told you to surrender. And because they're on TV and Norman does not want to, you know, commit genocide on the evening news, Norman backs off. Hmm. And then Cyclops takes a moment to speak to everyone and say, hey, I'm awesome. And sadly, Norman takes it as a moment to declare his victory because he drove those nasty old mutants off American soil to their own little Island. Mm. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting situation, but it ends up with Cyclops now taking all the mutants to their own little Island off the, you know, the coast of America. Uh, They've managed to find their own new sanctuary. I think their old sanctuary lasted all of about six months. And Norman has managed to turn it into a PR win for him. And, of course, I think Norman now is going to turn himself to another book full of colons. Dark Rain colon, The List, colon, Whomever We Want to Kill, colon, Today, colon, and That'll Be Fun. Colon, Movie Film for Theaters. Exactly. Colon, Marvel,
1: Disney, colon, December 2025. Right, colon. exactly.
0: So the it's colon, the, the problem that I have with it. Is it predicates itself on a bad premise, and that premise is that as soon as Cobra raises this island in Sierra Gordo, that everything will be fine. I am not entirely sanguine with Cyclops' decision to create his own little sea land. I'm not entirely sure that there's any legal basis, and I certainly don't think that, you know, one public humiliation of Norman Osborn is really going to keep him safe. Mm-hmm. That said, it's a nice ending to this particular arc. It gives it a little bit of a heck yeah. And it gives you the hiccups. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it works for me. I like Fraction's voices. I like the fact that Fraction showed us Cyclops as a leader. Cyclops has now officially taken over Professor Xavier's, you know, figurehead as the leader of the X-Men. And he led all the various X-Men teams and X-Force and X-Banana Hats and Excrement and all the various teams at once and put the players on the board, put the pieces on the board, brought it together at the end, which I think is brilliant. But again, when you, when you take a comic book that's supposed to have real world politics and reality behind it, the problem is you get to the end of it and it feels like a Pyrrhic victory. It feels like, well, Cyclops won that fight. But then you have to say, well, if this is supposed to be in the real world, now we've got legal battles and now we're going to have people, you know, people showing up and we're going to have to talk about extradition. And if all mutants are welcome, what happens if the blob or the vanisher or Magneto tries to show up on the island? And You know, how is the United States government going
2: to respond? Yeah, what happens with a mutant who works for the United States government shows up? Exactly. You know, these are the questions.
0: Have they given up? Have they renounced their American citizenship? Do they have to renounce their American citizenship? It's, you know, it it starts with a premise that's not quite right. And it does kind of underplay Norman Osborn in that he probably should have seen this coming. Overall, it's a good story. I'm going to say three and a half slices of meatloaf for me. It's well drawn by several different people. I think most of the X-Men and Avengers teams get a few pages in. And it's interesting to see a lot of who'd win these fight things. Colossus fighting Venom and the White Queen fighting the Sentry. And, you know, there's a lot of going on in there. As a comic book, it's good. But just like Civil War, it asks questions that no comic book can really fully answer. They can if they create five more spinoff series.
2: No, that's precisely what prevents this from being answered. <laughs> if yeah, they condensed it all into a single book, wish. they yeah, could yeah. answer these. Yeah. Yep.
1: All right, thank you very much, Matthew. This came out when? Last week? Uh, I think it came out Wednesday. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. Very good. Uh, this week, I took a look at Boom Studios' Poe Number 3, now this po? does Poe. This I, I'm does so follow po, I
0: can't even pay
1: attention. This does follow the Edgar Allan Poe character after the death of his wife Virginia and he's going through some tough times and gets embroiled in kind of a, a murder mystery that involves the occult and in issue 3 at the end of issue 2 we found out that these coins that uh, that were being killed for actually probably have some magical properties to bring the dead back to life and so Poe has been at the end of the second issue and going into the third, he's really tormented about should he use these coins to bring his dead wife back from the grave so he can be happy, so that this raven stops following him around, so that he can stop Nicole! seeing Nicole! how dead people, uh, how people died, uh, so that he can, you know, all these weird... Uh, so that he
2: can stop hearing a beating heart under his uh
1: Well, here's the thing. Hordes.
2: Here's the cool thing about this series. They have
1: really attempted... Poe comes out and says at the beginning of this issue... He runs into the uh, red-hooded death guy, the bad guy, the main guy, who just so happens, I think his uh, first name is Joseph. His last name is Usher. He does live in the house of Usher. Mm. Okay? There is the— Does uh, he wear the mask of Red Death? Yes. He does. You know, so we've got the raven, we've got that. Uh, What's the the cask of—what was that one? What was that short story? Um, The cask of Amontillado. When he goes home and he and he runs into this guy, that's the kind of wine that he's mm. drinking. There's a pit in the pendulum sequence in this book. And I really love how they're taking all of these events that Poe made famous, and they're kind of incorporating it into his life as this event that by the end of the story, when he finds his ability to write again, you know he's going to take all of these elements and turn them into the stories. But, you know, they haven't happened just yet. So as I mentioned, there's a huge pit in the pendulum sequence. He's really trying to stop this uh, this uh, usher guy from bringing his dead sister back from the grave, and there's kind of a weird incestuous mm. kind of implication going on there, which is really kind of brushed over to the point where he's just in love with his sister. He loves her so much. Right. He doesn't want. He wants to bring her back. He can't live without her. And I in order.
0: Can't live. Of living is without you.
1: In order to bring back <laughs> someone from the dead, someone has to sacrifice themselves, and so to do that, uh, Usher has captured Poe's sister-in-law and his brother. Uh, the brother is the one that's tied to the uh, altar with the pendulum swinging uh. down, and he escapes with the rats biting off the ropes and all of that good stuff. Uh, but like in *Romancing the Stone*, just like in *Romancing the Stone*. Usher didn't is that have able... a character in it named Montresor? Maybe. Um, no, it didn't. Usher is able to resurrect his dead sister, but that's where the cliffhanger happens. We don't know what happens to the wife, mm. to the brothers, to the brother's wife, and that's what's going to make this an interesting final act. Come the next uh, next issue, issue number four. Overall. If you like the tales of Poe, if you just kind of like how these references to his other stories kind of fit into an overall plot, if you like the mystical aspects of storytelling, you know, this bringing people back from the dead, golems running around, uh, this red death that takes place in early America, uh, then Poe is really a good series. It's well written. The art is good. I like the art. Um, It kind of ebbs and flows at times. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I think overall it's it's very good. This series is written by uh Jay Barton Mitchell with art by uh, Dean Kutz, not Kuntz, the book author, but Dean K O T Z. Hmm. I, I think it's very, very well done. I enjoyed it. Uh uh I didn't really like the, third, the second issue as much as I'm liking this third issue, and I really can't wait to see how they wrap this all up with the House of Usher probably falling, mm. some beating heart probably at the end under the floorboards. That would just kind of cap everything off. I enjoyed this third outing. Poe number three is in stores this week, and I'm giving it four stars. Four nice. slices of the meatloaf.
0: You know, maybe it's just me, but your synopsis made that sound really annoying. I'm going to have to go read it now. Uh-huh. Why?
2: Well, Just because Matthew wants in on it.
0: No, actually, I'm good. I, I, I had, a, had a wonderful week. I'm happy. I have 94.4% IR. Whatever. In any case, you don't even know what that means. Oh, no, no, no. You don't understand.
2: IR spells ear, which means to go in Spanish. IR what IR, says Popeye the Sailor Man.
0: But you know what this means when we start babbling incessantly. At the end of well, the, reviews. When the major, major spoilers podcast yeah.
2: is on the air. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Stephen, you babble just as much as I do. The problem is, as you know, the the forum moderator, if you will, the the what's the crazy guy's name on the McLaughlin group? I think McLaughlin. You, I
1: think what you McLaughlin. need to do,
0: Matthew, is you need
2: to move it along.
0: Wrong.
2: Wrong. The aliens are
0: here, and they've been here since 1964.
2: (laughs) He had some oatmeal and some
0: bananas. (laughs) It's time when the reviews are over, when the blade falls closer to the monkey in the pit. If you see where I'm going with this, it's time. For oh, the fifth smartest man in attendance. And the other two guys as well. The major spoilers poll of the week, 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 week. Oh, we got a poll. We got a poll of the week. We got a poll, <laughs> poll. We got a poll. We got a poll of the week. All for one. One for all. We're a bunch of jerks. Oh, <laughs>
1: All right, this week we're taking a look at Robert E. Howard. Of course, he created a lot of of really great characters throughout time, throughout the many ages. Two of them, Conan and Cull,
0: very similar to one another.
3: Hmm. Very similar.
0: In fact, the first Conan story was reworked from a Cull story. Oh, no, 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 they're different. One is from
1: Atlantis, one is uh, from Siberia. Hyboria. Yeah, the Hyborian age.
0: Indeed, but... For more information, I highly recommend that you go back into the archives and listen to the Major Spoilers podcast episode 30 for some more in-depth discussion about Howard, about Cull, about the origins of Conan, and about the fact that Matthew is right. But No, 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 one's from Cimmeria,
1: one is from Atlantis. But if we were to put them both in a ring. And fight it out. Who would be the winner? Would that be Cull? Or would that be Conan? Cull. Conan. Conan?
2: Cull. Open. Rodrigo? Doctor? 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 And Doctor? Um, Red (laughs) Sonia. Well, she probably sells better than both of these other two. Um, I would go with Conan, just because he's, um... I think there's probably a reason why he's caught on a little bit more. It could just be coincidence that they just happened to pick that as a franchise to launch Arnold Schwarzenegger. Essentially, um... But also because he's a popular late night uh, talk show host.
1: Yeah, that red hair and the ability to. Yeah, uh,
2: and he's he's so tall, um, and <laughs> you know it's pretty good with a battle axe. Okay. Um, I didn't like the Kevin Sorbo movie. Wait, was that call or? Yeah, crawl? that was call. Which one's the one that has like that That's spinny crawl. thing? Okay. K R U L, and that's not one of these guys, right? Because I would vote guys. for well, like that so. crazy beard guy that throws the throwy thingy, <laughs> possibly the Cyclops he hangs out with. <laughs> I'm done,
1: Matthew.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just remembering what an awesome movie Crow was, <laughs>
2: wasn't it? It was just like. Whoosh!
0: From the sky will come the black fortress. They- From the fortress will come the slayers to devour the planet of Krull. Then a girl of ancient name shall become queen. Go and back she and watch shall it.
2: Choose a king. They use but- that thing like maybe twice in the whole movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, they. A I- I'd seen, it. I'd seen portions of it. I went back and watched it, and I was really expecting the whole movie to be like, <laughs> basically what any given 10 minutes of Xena Warrior Princess was. (laughs) No, they use it like once. Once in the entire movie, they throw it. Ken Marshall as Prince Cowan. Mm -hmm. Liam
1: Neeson as Keegan.
0: That's right. And their son shall rule the galaxy. I'm
1: trying to see if there's anybody else that we might
0: know off here. I believe uh, Alan Armstrong was Torquil. (laughs) Anyway... Back at the characters who are actually written by the guy who looks a little bit like a mobster in the picture that Steven put up. Yeah, see? We're yeah, gonna make Conan fight Cole, see? see? And they're both gonna have swords. The high see?
2: age, see? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And what they're gonna do is, uh, whoever wins is gonna be the big boss, you see? He's gonna take over the town. Yeah, see? <laughs> For me, I... I don't know from Cole. I remember, um, I think John Buscema drawing some awesome Cole stuff for Marvel. Mostly covers because I don't really, you know, I don't have a big love of the Barbarian comics. I'll read anything, but... And I look back and then I think of Barry Windsor Smith doing those Conan covers. Yeah, from the 70s? With the big horned helmet and the thing, and you know. Yeah. And I actually, I went with Conan simply because Conan is like the original Mary Sue. Conan is the character who Oh, he's the world's greatest fighter. And then he got old, but he became a pirate, see? Because he was a pirate on,
2: on, on the Black Sea. He was a king. Don't forget he was a king. He, don't was, he, was, he was a, a king. king for a while. Don't forget and a king. man, and then... did he bang a lot of chicks.
0: Oh, man, you can't even imagine the number of chicks he banged. Take all the ba- the girls that Steven banged, and all the girls that Rodrigo banged, and all the girls that I banged, multiply them by five, and you still don't have... You can't even hold a <laughs> candle to Conan. He's awesome. I mean, you multiply that number by five, and you get, like, what? 18 and I'm just saying it was cricket, right? Had to be cricket. Uh, that's like such an old joke now. And uh, you know the best part is nobody knows. Nobody has the slightest idea what I'm talking I about.
1: I know and that's why it's
0: not interesting to anybody. For
1: me, I went with <laughs> the minority uh in this. I went with call. For you a voted couple for of a reasons. Menor? I went for the minority. The call. I am in the <laughs> Well, Considering that uh, Atlantis sunk and there's only a few Atlanteans left, he would be a minority of people in the mm. uh, Hyborian Age. I just finished reading Thulsa Doom, the first issue from Dynamite Entertainment, which I think came out last week. And there are still some Atlanteans uh, surviving, and they are some badass MFers. They uh, they know how to rock, they know how to battle. Of course, I've read the Cull series from Dark Horse as well. And I just think that Probably strength wise, Cole and Conan are probably equally matched.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Wit wise, I think Cull would probably be, be better in, in the battle. And that's why I went with Cull.
0: Don't what underestimate I'm the power of that wisdom stat.
1: Well, you know, there is the berserker
0: rage that barbarians will
1: often go into. So, you know, I think, I think wanna...
0: Conan, Conan may have a low INT, but he has a really high con and a really high wisdom. Well, that may be. That may be. Well, I
1: am in the minority along with the other 9% of the it's, people that voted. It's
2: probably because nobody actually knows who Call is. Now, let me ask uh, you this, though. Do Call and Conan exist in the same universe? They do, but they exist in different ages. Ah, uh, I see.
1: When, uh, if my understanding is correct, when Cole you know, after Atlantis has fallen and he's doing his things, the Picts, which are the enemies of the Sumerians, if I'm remembering correctly now, I could be totally wrong. Mm-hmm. They're still kind of savages kind mm-hmm. of kind of thing. It's not until later when Conan is is a bigger character that they're kind of more along the same barbarian type tribe. I type. If I remember correctly, somebody's going to write in and go, no, that's not the correct answer, Stephen. No wonder you're in the minority with the 20 other people that voted this week in the poll. Which which is an accomplishment. Nine percent
0: would be twenty one people.
2: It's it's kind of an accomplishment to write with a lisp. But some of our <laughs> some is. of our listeners can actually pull. Pretty it much, off. you got to be like murder
0: face messed up in order to lisp in your in your. Animal. And
1: I got to tell you, Thulsa Doom. There's a messed up face in there, but it's mm-hmm. attached to a naked woman body
0: mm-hmm. that Rodrigo
1: was just checking out.
0: Yeah,
3: because for- <laughs> <like>, for- <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> I like holding him down, going, look at it, look at that naked body. <laughs> Two hundred nine people have voted. Nine percent, as I said, went for Cole of Atlantis. The rest of you, ninety-one percent, went for
0: Conan. Yeah, I think this is one where people are definitely voting for the name that they know more. Do you of, think that? Do you think that's what it is, or do you really I've, think that people I've never, would say I've Conan would kick ass? I've never sat down and read anything or watched a movie that said Cole. Well, yeah. But I remember i remember me and my cousin Elwood one night watching Conan on the cable and seeing all the boobies and going, whoa! <laughs> that was pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, let me, uh, I've got
1: another question that I can ask later about that that great picture that I used of, of Robert E. Howard. We'll talk about that maybe on the weekend show.
2: Yeah, see? Yeah, yeah. What are eyebrows I what are, are magnificent.
0: But a by barbarian, see? Yeah.
2: In... Batman,
1: Darkest, Blackest Night, number one. Blackest Night, Batman, number one.
0: <laughs> Whatever
1: they're calling these series. Colon. At least I don't think there were any colons in that. In oh, that there battle. were Blackest Night, colon, Batman. Colon, dance. <laughs> <laughs> this week, uh, one of the characters that appeared, and we kind of addressed this last in last week's full show, that uh, one of the characters that rose was this character called Deacon Joseph Blackfire. And I'm not sure a whole lot of people know who that character was. He first appeared in 1988. Is that what we've tr- tracked it down to, Matthew? Yep,
0: 88.
1: In a book called Batman... and I don't even see a colon. It's just called Batman... Batman The colon, Cult. The Cult. I'm
0: going to put a Actually, hyphen. Actually, in this case, it may be a hyphen.
1: Actually, it's called Batman the Cult, book one colon, ordeal. In the first book that we looked at. This is the story about... Man, it's kind of a weird story. Batman has been abducted by a bunch of street people who have fallen under the influence of a religious guy po- mm. or somebody proposing as a religious person and is yeah. essentially brainwashed into this cult and how Batman struggles and fights his way out of that cult and then ultimately goes back and seeks his revenge.
0: It it starts in a weird place. Yeah, it does. It starts out after he's already been captured. Yeah, it starts with Batman, and this is the first issue of the Limited, Batman in the clutches of the villain. Right. Which, I mean, that's a really, that's a, that's a pretty big risk to take in a Batman Mm -hmm. comic, even 20 years ago. I remember when this book came out and it was a huge deal. It was this enormous schmagegi that nobody could find the issues of. I, to this day, um, well, until I read it this last week, I had not read, read rather issue two. Because you couldn't find it. Because mm. I, you know, um,
1: uh, what was the comic book store over by Washburn University before? Not the, not the Gatekeeper, but the other one over by that uh, little shopping center down by the corner of Washburn. You Comics and one? Fantasies? Yeah, that's where I picked up all of my copies back when this originally came out. Comics and
0: Fantasies actually became Gatekeeper. Oh, uh, did it? They, okay. All they right. purchased him. They purchased his stock and basically bought him out and it became Gatekeeper probably 18 years ago. Yeah, so I got this before the
1: I was able to well, get all the original issues, and it was it was a good time for me because I was just starting to get into comic books. This was, you know, shortly after the Dark Knight Returns came out. Uh this was, I think, right before Legends of the Dark Knight started. Probably right around the same time.
0: It was a couple of years before that. Legends of the Dark Knight was ninety one, I believe.
1: And so what was really fascinating about this first story is yeah, we do see Batman kind of in the clutches of the villains, but not in, you know, Hanging over a pool, uh, you know a shark infested pool with mm-hmm. the, the the with laser penguin. sharks yeah yeah with the the penguin ready to pull the trigger no 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 right 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 this is Batman waking up from a confused dream mm-hmm. a fevered dream in which he murders a Joker right that's kind of a big key right there where he's chained to a sewer pipe he has been bat- battered and bloodied and cut the bat symbol has been ripped from his chest and he's just fallen into the, these clutches of these underdwellers. And we start to discover this story about a guy called Deacon
2: Blackfire. That's right. Deacon Blackfire. Once he appeared out of nowhere to some Indians and was like, Hey, Indians, you should follow me. And the Indians were like, Okay, for a while. And then they were like, No, we don't want to follow you anymore. So they beat him up and they hit him. And they tied him up to a totem. They put a totem in front of us, like, No, stay away. But then bad things happened to the Indians. Yeah, uh, supposedly.
1: Right. That's the cool thing about this story is when we talk about brainwashing, it's whoever gets converted believes whatever you're telling them. Mm -hmm. And so this story is being told by some of the sewer dweller people, people that have been converted. And they're telling the story throughout this first issue about Deacon Blackfire and how he brought, you know, curses down to those people who didn't follow him, how he's lived for centuries and uh and really how he brought ruin to this Indian tribe and later to the first settlers of Gotham mm-hmm. and uh we later find out that yeah, he
2: may indeed have been someone that has been alive for centuries. And they never quite come out and say, Yes, yes, this is completely one hundred percent true. Like all signs point to yes, but I never really saw like a, a conclusive like this guy has been around forever. Yeah, there is a point yes. in
1: um in the third or fourth issue where Gordon is like, well, this Deacon Blackfire has probably got a criminal record. Let's look it up. And they're like, well, it's taking us time to bring it. He's like, why isn't it on computers? And they're like, yeah, well, but some of these records go back as far as 1920. And they're saying, well, these are the same fingerprints and here's how he was involved in this. And here's how he was involved in this crime. And here's where he was involved with this mob. And mm-hmm. it kind of, it kind of lends some credibility to the yeah. story, especially when, in the very beginning story, Ratface, one of the narrators of the story, is talking about the totem, and how later we see that totem appear in the story as sure. part of the brainwashing technique.
0: Yeah, the, the rather phallic totem.
1: Yes, in, <laughs> in indeed it is. But I guess if you're carving anyone's head out of wood, it would probably look somewhat well, phallic like that. Indeed. But yeah, I mean, he's uh, Batman is totally going to get screwed here shortly, uh, so to speak. <laughs> Any of you guys ever been brainwashed? I work for you, don't I?
0: <laughs> and it works. It works. Almost. Less yes, food for him. Steven was better than cats. <laughs> I will see him again and again. And again, a reference from like 1982 <laughs> that no one's going to get. Also, I do work in a call center. Ah, so, so he I, has I, done I, I am brain. the master of brainwashing others. So when you brainwash people... You don't hate people, your job. Please do not kill me with Bat- a stick.
1: Batman recognizes that he's going through the classic brainwashing technique, you know, remove them from familiar surroundings. Don't let them get any sleep. Starve them. Mm-hmm. So that your mind is totally warped and broken. And then when they're at that point of breaking, then you bring them to the light, to the enlightenment, and you can attempt to convert them into your way of thinking, which... Uh, apparently with all the cults that are out there, apparently works. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But I found it fascinating that even Batman is not able to fight the
0: brainwashing.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Which is, I think, good. Yeah, because it shows him as a man. I have gone on the record many times as saying that the whole Batman can prepare for anything given 15 minutes is not only the worst abuse of superpowers it really undermines the character as a human being i feel that having batman fall under the you know the mystical clutches of someone who may or may not be this ancient shamanistic you know please don't squeeze the shaman Mm -hmm. kind of guy i think that makes perfect sense there's no reason for bruce wayne to be immune to some sort of brainwashing technique or mystical thing right you know but if they did the story these days you know he'd flash back to being taught by Ras al Ghul in a field full of blue poppies or something and how he knows that he can, you know, with
2: lightning there's lightning in the background off. and
0: there would be no way that Batman in 2009 would be able to be put in such a perilous position. Right. That's why I like this story.
1: And that's why that's I like why it I like too. That's I I like it too and this is, you know, I again read this after Dark Knight Returns and so it's really here's this man coping with problems. So I kind of really took it from Batman is a detective, somebody who's trying to solve a crime, and he's following all these clues of pimps and and drug dealers and all these people getting murdered, yet there's really no evidence of the crime except for these bloody f- footprints that go off. And so he's trying to follow up on this, and he's wondering why the other mystery of where are all the homeless people going. Mm-hmm. And being involved in the case actually leads him to being shot and captured by this cult. And so I found that very credible. And it's just really cool where Batman all along in this first issue is like, I recognize what they're doing. I recognize what they're doing. I recognize what they're doing. Oh, they're trying to feed me a very little sub- substance. There's probably something in here, but I don't care. Yeah. And so he eats it just because he's starving. Mm. And the drugs kick in and he starts having some, some pretty trippy revelations the city of gotham really recognizes that you know something's going on with all the homeless people off the street they hear a word about this guy deacon blackfire they even find out that uh, batman has been missing where has he been robin is addressing commissioner gordon and saying hey you know batman sometimes goes off for a couple of days to work on a case but i'm a little worried so everybody's getting a little concerned by the time we hit uh, issue two, and this is just a four-issue miniseries. All right, I guess this is, was a prestige format. Mm-hmm. Which do you remember the cover price of this, Matthew? I
0: want to say $390, 350. Cents. $3.50. Yeah, that's what it says here. Which and at that time, at comics, the time, buck comics were a buck.
1: Yeah, this was really expensive, and I'm really surprised looking back onto. This uh, this cover price. Oh, how
2: many pages per issue, though?
1: Well, there were. Well, it's always been kind of twenty two oh, okay. for that buck, but this one was. We're looking at at least fifty pages per issue. issue. Forty eight yeah. So a forty eight page book. So yeah, that's you know double a regular issue. Oh, yeah. That's so.
2: practically a trade.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, in today's today's world, yes. Um, in issue two. We discover that the conversion is complete and Batman is basically in this drug-induced state most of the time. He's broken mm-hmm. and the deacon has them has his minions going off and doing things, including breaking into a mob uh stronghold and killing everyone in there, or a safe house or whatever it may be. There's a strong implication, and I don't know if you read this the same way that a lot of people read this, that mm-hmm. Batman actually used a gun and killed somebody.
0: Mm-hmm. I, that's the way I read it. It seems like Batman took a machine gun to some guy. That he thought was the Joker. Or he he thought, thought it was, it was Two-Face.
1: Two-Face. Right, thought it was Two-Face. But and he gun- gunned him down. And then they, then he, you can tell that the drugs start to wear off because halfway through this, he starts to come out of it, and he's like, did I just do something? What's going on here? And and uh, the Deacon's one of his second second-in-command. Mm. Is basically slapping Batman around and saying, follow orders, do this, do that. And even when Batman tries to question it, you know, he's smacked down like a little puppy who just crapped on the carpet. Bat puppy. Ace. (laughs) This is a kind of a, I mean, for some people who think Batman doesn't kill, Batman doesn't use a gun. Of course, Mm -hmm. you have to think about the original Batman when he was created and he did use some guns and did use some violence. But this Mm -hmm. was probably a big shock because this is after uh, the first Batman movie came out. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Or right right before?
0: This is the year before. Oh, okay. All right.
1: 1989
0: was the first Batman movie. Right. This came out in early 88.
1: Talk about, I mean, this whole second issue is just about tearing Batman down and him really just believing anything that's told to him, especially mm-hmm. when Ratface has something against his, his neighbor who happens to be black who's married to a white girl. He's right. He thinks that you know, he should go out and kill this guy, and takes Batman out of, the, out of the sewers, takes him up there and says, hey, let's kill him. Well, by this time, Batman's drugs are starting to wear off, he's due for another dose, and this is a point where Batman kind of escapes. Mm-hmm. And when I read this series originally, this, was the, this book was the one that struck me the most because of Batman's escape into the wild and these parallel images that accompany... The story where Batman's talking about, you know, hunger is a basic urge, it's primal, and we see this caveman bashing a saber-toothed tiger over the head, and then we see Batman doing the same thing, but with a crowbar to a glass window Mm. to a a delicatessen, and Mm -hmm. just kind of paralleling that throughout the story, and uh, when he comes upon the people in the park... And tells him to run, you know, get away and and freaks him out and (laughs) becomes the Yogi Bear of Gotham Central Park. Uh, (laughs) All along, we start to see, you know, the media picking up on this as the, you know, the media is being portrayed in this book as society being split over what the deacon is doing. Mm -hmm. So what if they're killing bad guys? That's a good thing, right? Yeah, I haven't felt this safe since a long time ago. (laughs) <laughs> and other people saying, wait a
0: minute, wait a minute, we shouldn't let this guy just go crazy. Why, if we if we let this go on 10 years from now, uh, Frank Miller will have to write some dystopic, wait. <laughs> never mind.
1: <laughs> but the deacon doesn't care. He thinks he can move ahead with his plans, and in and... the third issue, which, Matthew, you've never read before, I'm interested never in Never your... read the second issue. Oh, before. second issue, okay. This was my favorite issue of the four. What did you think of this one, since it was your first time reading it? The second issue? Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> See, I like the way this started. Yeah. And there, yeah, uh, you and I talked about one of the things. Ah,
1: yeah, I'm going to spittle, like, read uh, Major Spoilers Adventures number nine coming out this week.
0: <laughs> and I think we'll, we'll get to that soon enough about the, the comparison. Issue one is a great start. Right. And issue two in my mind should have been as good as issue one, Mm -hmm. where issue three, in my mind, is where it all started to careen off the rails. And, you know, it ended at a point where, again, we'll get to the way I felt about it. Issue two did not live up to the hype for me. Oh, really? Okay. She's in my mind. 20 years later. Issue one, issue one was that really great open. And then issue three, all of a sudden we're like... I, I I looked at it and I was like, "Wow, was I young when I read issue one?" And then I read issue one and I'm like, "Well, no, issue one is still good." Mm-hmm. I just looked at it and I think it's an issue too where he's the 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 weak liberals running the country, right? Right. You know, it. it
1: the Deacon essentially goes about systematically killing everyone in power in Gotham, City, right? And in his I, attempt to take over, there
0: there are a couple of things that that popped to mind immediately when I saw that was. is is anybody going to take these murders and maybe put two and two together and say, well, we have this vigilante gang on the streets and we have people being murdered. And well, it. it." Well, Gordon attempts to do that. He goes before the public in
1: a press conference in in the open and says, Mm -hmm. we have evidence that supposedly maybe this Deacon guy is involved and blah, blah, blah. And then he gets shot in the neck or in the chest or somewhere. So anybody, you know, the, the thing that I find is probably the least credible part of this whole story is even when the army attempts to overtake the city, to gain, regain control of the city, they're just totally wiped out by these uh, bums. These Hobo hobos. Binos. Yeah, winos and hobos. Which I just found just so not believable. I mean, we've seen what happens, and I mean, this is 20 years of, of hindsight reflecting on here, but we've seen True. what happens when we go into Iraq and we try to fight a street battle. It's well, not and, where we're being overwhelmed by you know the the yeah, insurgents
2: but, but these are
0: brainwashed yeah. well right uh, who who knows
1: what a brainwashed tobo will do
0: and homelessness was a big hot button issue it was and having you know the homeless people led by this religious this religious this evangelistic guy coming up to take down the weak liberal world you know it had a lot more resonance in 1988 yeah. in, you know in, in the shiny new nation you know that was the point where George Herbert Walker Bush was just about to become elected mm-hmm. it was the end of the Reagan era mm-hmm. i mean this this was the salad days in a way and again i think that part of it is in my mind in my memory having read the cult and not having read anything like it and i i say that in air quotes yeah. because now <laughs> I, but going back and then reading that missing missing issue it doesn't fill in as many of the gaps as i hoped Mm. i love love love, what bernie does with the art i love i love the drug haze and i love the hallucinations and i love the crazy pedophile joker um
1: (laughs) well you know there's a there's a great sequence in here you know kind of moving kind of tied into the art where batman gets recaptured and they're going to take him to the draining room or the bathing room or whatever it is, where they're essentially going to cut his throat and let his blood drain
0: out. Lady Bathory. back. He,
1: he escapes. Robin is down in the tunnels and sees it and, and tries to follow. And they follow the sewers down to apparently a washout area. And that whole ending sequence in this second book, Robin's walking through the dark going, Batman, Batman, are you there? Where are you? I just stepped on something squishy. I've been bad. No, Batman, where are you? We're in hell. And then Robin's like, what? Oh, what is that under my foot? Oh my gosh, let's turn on the light. And then there's this big double page spread of just all the dead bodies. You were wondering, you know, the big question that had been uh, asked in the first issue and leading up into this point in the second issue is, well, where are all the bodies at? We see evidence of a skirmish, but where are the bodies of the mobsters? We find out. And I think at my tender, impressionable age... This was probably one of the more horrific images that you would find in a comic book. Yeah, I was not one to read eerie or creepy comics or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so to see a double page spread of rotting corpses with Batman standing on top of them, going "Welcome to Hell," "Welcome to to Hell," hell.
0: "Welcome to Hell,"
1: (laughs) 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 to me that was that's
0: what made this really you know hit hit home a lot on this. And something else worth noting. This is Jason Todd.
2: Yes, that's that, really that important. Is, that, that is important. I, I started reading through this, and I was like, okay. I, I just assumed it was Dick Grayson. And then at some point, yeah, this he's like, Jason well, Todd. Jason? And
0: this he's is like, Jason Todd what? before the retcons that turned him into a nasty, snot-nosed, hateful little punk and made me vote to kill him. Yeah. This,
3: this is, is Jason
0: yeah. Todd when uh, the early Jason Todd was essentially nothing more than a Dick Grayson clone. Mm-hmm. And this is probably, well, until, you know, he returned from the dead. Well, actually, probably until he died. This is this may be the most important Jason Todd appearance as Robin, mm-hmm. because this is really the probably the most meaningful Jason Todd moment, the most meaningful Robin story that I can recall. And I didn't remember it being Jason. Oh, really? Until the reading. Yeah. It, well, it you know, it never occurred to me to think, you know. I, I I haven't really gone back and said, well, let's break down the Robins. Oh bro. yeah, yeah, no, 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 I but I agree. This is you know, and it's it's interesting that it is a younger, less experienced Robin. Yeah, because you know, he I, goes. I think that this story would have been different if it had been the 16 or 18 or 19 year old Dick Grayson who fought Trigon with the Titans, and you know, all hell broke loose, and he, oh, we're gonna fight him, and he would not be freaked out necessarily by being in the 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 heap of bodies. And I feel like, you know, Robin the Teen Wonder, who was about to become Nightwing, or had just become Nightwing,
2: in the... Ah, oh, Jericho, you stole my splash page. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: That was 84, so he had just become Nightwing, like, yeah.
2: a couple of years before.
0: I feel like, you know, this works better because it's Jason. Mm-hmm. This story has some some Jason-centrism to it. Or this story would not have rolled the same way if it weren't Jason. Well, I And, I, and I, it's one of the earliest places where I've ever seen, you know, on a vaguely related note, a badass Alfred Pennyworth. Yeah. yeah.
1: I, I was kind of impressed that, you know, and I guess, again, depending on knowing in hindsight what was going on with the character, having that future vision, you can tell there's some bloodthirst, bloodlust in Jason's mind where he's willing to shoot people with, even no. though they're trying guns. Mm, You're seeing yeah. that he's willing to, you know, bring down the the roof of the sewer on top of these guys. That really yeah. doesn't bother him. What bothers him and what makes him an interesting character here is in the third issue called Escape where they're literally trying to get out of the sewers, people are trying to get out of Gotham City as the as the crazed hobos and and uh, Deacon Blackfire are taking over. Uh that he doesn't know how to deal with Batman who is just going through withdrawal of the drugs. Who's trying to figure out why he was broken mentally, mm-hmm. um, and just trying to say, "Keep it together, man. Keep it together." I mean, there's they could have devolved this to slapping Batman across the face and say, "Pull it
2: together, man. Pull and, it together." And he does do that once,
1: right? Right, but he doesn't say, pull it right, together, Batman. Right, right. Pull it together. We got to get out of here. Work or... No, it doesn't, and that is what's I I find really interesting about this series and uh, this third issue, and we do find out. Why the deacon might have been alive for centuries. Mm.
3: Yep.
1: This, uh, the bathory, the yeah. deacon is bathing in bathing the blood. In blood.
0: Blah, 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 blah.
1: And he says, if you <laughs> bathe in the blood of your enemies once a month, then you'll live forever. Mm. It's pretty, I mean, it's pretty disturbing, you know,
0: kind of yeah, images but that are in there. It's almost too much. I mean, we started out, uh, don't get me wrong, it's a comic book extension, but we started right. out with some vaguely real-worldy themes, and yeah. then it comes to the point where, I'm gonna le- look at me, I'm a freaking cartoon. There's, you know, there's that moment where Deacon Blackfire is a credible threat, and then he's kind of scary. And then, you know, he's really disturbing, and then he's way over the top, and then he's way, way over the top, and then he's chewing the scenery like Scarlet Ray. Yeah. Charlotte Ray, and then he's he's bathing in blood, and it just, you kind of just, That's... I don't know if you get inured to it, or you just say, you know what, he, I I accept that he's a villain enough, you know, I accept that this is bad, and this is a terrible person, having him bathe in blood just felt like uh, hubcaps on a tractor to me. Right. To... Uh, unnecessary, there was really no reason to go there other than... We wanted to make sure that he was really scary and disturbing and maybe maybe ancient.
2: The uh the supernatural aspect of Deacon Blackfire is, is really what one of the, one of the things that no. kind of turned me off of the book because oh I, I I was I was reading through this and really, really, really wishing that they would go like, Oh, wait a minute. This guy is not four hundred years old at all. He's just some cool guy who has figured out how to do this. You know, I was kind of well, hoping that that was going to be the case. That this regular guy, quote unquote. I right. mean, like this, this, this evil mastermind who is just a guy and manufactured. You know, he's um, Kaiser Sose. Yeah, he is essentially. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and
1: when you're brainwashing somebody, that's what I expected because the people that are telling Blackfire's history. Are people that have been converted that have probably gone through the brainwashing mm-hmm. process, exactly. with the exception of exactly. maybe Ratface. Well, so you don't know if it's really true, and we should get into Ratface later. Okay, we will do that. But it's—I just found it fascinating that what part of this story is true. Even when I read this originally, I kind of agreed with uh, with you earlier, Rodrigo, where he may not really be this old. He mm. may have—he may be somebody who, like Ricardo Montalban, ages gracefully into mm. his nineties and into his one hundreds. Um, Carl
0: Montalban is like 85.
1: Yeah, when he died, yes. But he still looked good. He could play, you know, if he were still alive, you know, you put that plastic uh, chest on like he had in Khan. <laughs> he he did have, not
0: wear a plastic chest. That is could, uh, urban legend. He
1: could, he could play. He that could is play his Deacon actual Blackfire. chest. Well, then he could and play that Deacon that is Blackfire. David Bowie's
2: actual sock.
1: <laughs> in the fourth issue, it's been a couple of weeks since Batman has escaped out of Gotham City. And at the end of the third issue, he essentially says, Batman is no more. We're never returning back to Gotham City. Never again. Never. Never.
2: Beginning it, of next issue, let's go back to Gotham City. But it's been true, a couple true. of weeks. True.
1: And again, through media, we find out that the Deacon has essentially taken over the city with an iron fist, public hangings in the street, killing people left slave and right. Slave
2: labor.
0: Yeah, yes. People that didn't leave forced Again, for one step too far, forcing people into slave gangs and just, at, at at this point, Batman has to go so over the top to match the threat that I'm just kind of like, uh, okay. And what, is,
1: what does the deacon do? I mean, what does Batman do that's so over the top? He gets a he, monster truck. He monster gets truck. a monster he truck. He hires
0: Bigfoot <laughs> out for a weekend. Missile launchers. And he, but he paints a bat on the side because he can't armor his pants. And it he, is such a... I, I,
1: even as a high schooler, I was looking at this going, what in the F, a monster
2: truck? I, I really picture, like, Immigrant Song playing when uh, when this thing comes out. <laughs> da-dun, da-dun, comes and he's blasting it. He's playing it
0: on the speaker. I'm
1: sure he is.
0: And he's firing missiles, and every once in a while, you see a Cobra parachute pop out. And... <laughs> because, now you know, he's th- blowing stuff up left and right. But. It's, it's non-lethal blowing stuff up.
1: Yeah. Well, except when he says sometimes it feels good to do some public damage. You know, the army won't blow up a building, but that's not going to stop me. And he blows up a building and has it come okay. crashing down on top of people's because heads. Because
0: that's the best way to prove that you're back in your right mind. Yeah, is the blue shit Maximum up. property destruction. Now would probably be a good time to bring this up. Because okay. I looked at that
1: panel, that one page, well, it's like a three-quarter panel of this giant monster truck. And you said... And I said... Uh, isn't that okay, the Batmobile from Dark Knight Returns? Yes, I was going to say that until you stole my thunder, but I was going to say, you know, I can accept that it's a monster truck, but it looks like they're borrowing a hell of a lot from Dark Knight Returns with that uh, Batmobile in that first first or second issue of that, of that series. Yeah. The second. Uh, no, actually, it's the third, I think. In fact, the entire art in this series mm-hmm. looks yeah. a hell of a lot like Frank Miller stuff. You know, Not
0: so much the art as the and, color. And, and the layout,
1: because, and you know, the layout, yeah. this whole sequence with everything that's going on on the TV with the, you know, the TV
0: Bubbles. B- bubble
1: frame, that's yeah. right out of Dark Knight Returns. Mm-hmm. All the oh, conversations yeah. that they're having on the streets with people, that's right out of Dark Knight Returns.
0: Yeah. Uh, I believe there's a sequence with. Uh... Oh, crap. Now I'm trying to think in my head where I was going. The murder.
2: Which murder? Uh, There's a lot of. Um, them. There's a murder uh, every page. Every page of this book. <laughs> That's what it seems Somebody like. gets murdered. <laughs> That's what it seems like. like sometimes uh, there are text boxes that say in the background somebody's being... like To see who got <laughs> murdered on this page, check no, Batman Dark Victory <laughs> number 36. <36." laughs>
0: Shut up. I hate you both. <laughs> I'm not playing anymore. <laughs>
1: Well, but I mean, the thing is, and i I don't know I would have to really go back and look at some of my single issues to see how much of an influence the Dark Knight Returns had on the regular issues of the comic books, or if they were purposefully trying to emulate hmm. that style in well in the cult
0: i I know they were trying to purposely emulate that style because. Batman The Dark Knight Returns was a game changer. It mm-hmm. was, you know, it was really that first prestige format series. And this was, you know, the third, fourth, fifth, whatever prestige format series. And it was Batman The Dark Knight Returns was still kind of the template. It oh, was yeah. the game plan. And I think what they were trying to do was to create The Dark Knight Returns within the regular continuity. Mm-hmm trying to build that level of excitement and make it part of regular Batman stories so that when Newsweek and Time said, this Batman story, people are like, well, heck, and then, pow, zap, comics ain't for kids anymore, that they could actually show that, well, this is the way we're actually doing our regular comics. Right. Hmm. And it didn't work.
1: Well, and then there was always, for the longest time, this understanding or this question of, is this series in continuity? Mm. Because I don't ever it, remember even when uh, Tim Drake was being introduced, and yes. and they were going through that um, brainwashing stunt where
0: Batman got drugged. If there was ever a reference to the cult, there was a reference to the cult. Bernie, not Bernie, excuse me, Jim Starlin, you may remember, wrote a death in the family, the end of Jason right. Todd. Right there, there is a reference. In a death in the family, okay. To the cult, it is. It's not even veiled. It is clearly a reference to the events of the cult having taken place in a regular continuity.
1: Okay, because that was something that I was just kind of like, well, it's so out of it, and we really don't ever see it referenced ever again in Batman. That maybe it's not something of in continuity until this uh, Blackest Night Batman number one issue, and here's. Deacon Blackfire. Now, yeah, but that's at least one first... Tom
2: Welling Pint since
1: then. <laughs> yes, there has yeah. been. I will say this. As great as this series is, and we, I still want to talk about the arts more, it's, this series sold really well. It's been out of print since 2007. They're coming out with a new printing of the cult very soon. And so it's probably kind of, you know, let's inject... Deacon Blackfire into the Blackest mm-hmm. Night story so that we mm. can sell more copies of the cult when, when we re-release it. Mm. So that's, that's yeah. the only thing I'll say about that, which I kind of am a little disappointed in. But this was one of my favorite Batman stories uh, growing up, next mm-hmm. to the Dark Knight and some of the others that we've talked about. I, I really enjoyed this. Mm. The color, though, Matthew... Yes. Again, I didn't go back and dig out my original c- copies, but the colors just seem... Wacky in the wiki woo. Mm
0: -hmm. Part of that is trying to emulate Lynn Varley's coloring on the dark Knight returns. Okay. Part of that is the flexographic printing presses that DC used in the day. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen an, a a regular original copy of like crisis on infinite earths or something that DC was putting out on the flexo press with Baxter paper. Oh my God. It was a, it was a much more subtle printing process, mm-hmm. but with you know the old school uh, four-color colorists right. working in it, it made some seriously garish stuff. And I think part of this, in fact, a large part of this, is that that flexographic process okay. in play. It's the way that book was printed, the paper and the actual printing process. And you take it into account. You've got people coloring this who've been coloring comic books with the whole well, this much yellow and this much red actually equals orange or brown, and right. we don't have real brown, so we make Shang Chi kind of a nice medium orange color.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and the Asian characters are bright yellow. Yeah, and you know the the Hispanic characters are just whatever brown we can get in there that doesn't look bright yellow because otherwise they'll look Asian. <laughs> you know, it's it's. <laughs> That's, that's literally the way they did it. You know, that's part of the reason why there were so many green characters. Right. And on, this on... was the first chance, you know, to get away from that and have a more subtle coloring. But the process, there's a lot of, you know, bum, bum, let's, uh, we want some green and this is trippy. So let's color the snot out of this and, you know, make it look like the fabulous furry freak brothers vomited all over the page.
1: I think that was the problem with Batman, the killing joke too. Wasn't it? The colors were way, way off. They were way. That was also, I believe, flexographic. And that is why, when they reprinted that hardcover edition, they recolored everything. Mm. My well, understanding was... is that they're going to recolor this when it comes back out in in trade. Now, I'd
0: be interested to see that.
1: You know, some of the coloring is really cool. You know, like the the modeled uh, texture that they try to do for the streets, mm-hmm. or when we see Batman in issue one covered in blood, and how it's just like it's almost like they flicked the paintbrush yeah. at the uh, at the page. And they have
0: literally done
1: that. And they may have. I think that stuff is wonderful, but, you know, purple and green faces
2: just kill it for me. There's like entire pages that look like somebody. A printing error. Yeah, it looks like somebody took a peach and put it in a blender and that's how they colored it. Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's true too.
1: Now, on the one hand, I'm not really fond of, of the coloring technique. On the other hand, when you're trying to show the trippy mind trip trip that Batman is going through, those colors work perfectly
0: psychedelically. Up to a point. Again, as with Deacon Blackfire's evil, it does go way over the top. And granted, it's a comic book. Even today, comic books are not necessarily known for pulling their punches or being terrifically subtle. But I think the coloring, don't get me wrong, I love it. I think mm-hmm. that Bernie's art and the coloring come together, and you're like, yeah, he's on drugs. You don't even have to read it to know that Batman is tripping balls. Yeah, yeah he is. <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> I just love, I love how Wrightson emulated a lot of the the layout that we saw in uh, the Dark Knight. But then there mm-hmm. are times when he actually uses the panel to great effect, like uh, the sequence where Batman finally crumbles, and the panel over a sequence of like four or five panels actually crumbles
3: mm-hmm. and
1: falls apart on the page.
3: Yep.
1: I, I just love that kind of stuff. Well, but and I just can also... I, I was going to say, I just can't get away from this feeling that I'm looking at,
0: you know, Frank
1: Miller mixed with John Byrne and this is what we
0: get on the page. Mm-hmm. Well, there there's some older imagery and referencing in there because when he returns... Yeah, I, the smashing where he's returning to Waking World and the the p- pictures are all overlapping and kind of you know halfway there. Yeah, that's that's a Bernie Krigstein thing. Going back, Bernie was one of the guys who worked for EC back in the day. Mm-hmm. Bernie Krigstein was you know brilliant in his own way. So there's a lot of things in here that I saw as references to even older comic work, but there's so much Dark Knight envy. Going on here, I I would say that this book wanted to be the Dark Knight worse than anything else, but that would undermine that Spider-Man series from a couple of years ago, <laughs> where Spider-Man's you know radioactive spider sperm yeah in a web any size. Kills your wife just like flies. Hey there, here comes the spider sperm. Getting back to the ending of this series, where again, like you said,
1: uh, Matthew, Joseph Blackfire just goes over the top as just eating the scenery. Well, let me me...
0: go ahead. Go ahead. Batman goes so far over the top that, and and I quote here, okay? Batman. Standing over Goes so far over the top that he beats the shit out of an entire religion. Just to get to this man. Yes. I love that. It's it's it's, it's a lovely statement on comic book morality right there. <laughs> We're going to beat the crap out of every single follower you have. And then, haha.
1: Then they get then. to the arena fight, where the deacon <laughs> believes that if he dies, he will become a martyr and he will become more powerful dead than you could ever if be in life. If you strike
0: me down, I will
1: become more powerful than you could ever imagine. And Batman wants to do it. He's ready to take a gun
0: and shoot the guy. <laughs> But then we get into the battle royale. Luckily, McCoy shows up with a, a serum full <laughs> of hyronelin and, and allows Batman is... to fake his death. <laughs> D, uh, Batman doesn't doesn't kill
1: him, and then the, and then, but he does beat the crap out of him. Yes, and sorry. all of his followers are watching. Those that Batman didn't blow up when they blew up the Batmobile, right? And they just finally realize that this is not our messiah. And instead of Batman killing him. they turn on him with clubs and sticks and knives and kill Blackfire. And it's really interesting that, and I kind of, we saw this kind of in Batman Begins where uh, Batman says to Ra's al Ghul in the movie, you know, Ra's says, you're not going to kill me. And Batman says, I don't have to save you either. That's kind of what happens here as Batman just kind of walks away as this mob is descending upon the Deacon and Robin's like, well, shouldn't we do anything? And Batman's like, no, no, we can't do anything. And, just lets him kill.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you're mad. Uh, Go ahead. I don't like that. Well, I don't, I I'm not saying I like either. I'm just saying that it it's was saying. I understand what it was doing, and I understand that this was 1988. 1988. Oh, you guys, you don't know. You weren't there. If you think the grim and gritty from 1997, 1999. Was bad. The grim and gritty in 1988 was palpable. I mean, you could taste the gritty on every single page of the Batman titles. I oh mean, yeah. The Flash television show. How do you make the Flash? Make it dark. A, a dark event. Make Central tonight? City a Tim Burton-inspired
1: there, city. Yeah. Make a maroon instead
2: you know, of uh, cherry red. There you go.
0: Yeah, we'll make his suit kind of a deep blood red. Make it look like a big clot all over him. Yes, exactly. gross. You know, there's there's something about the Batman, to me, that always evokes that dick Sprang image of the smiling, barrel-chested Avenger, you know, mm-hmm. walking, like, hey, how's it going? I'm Batman. I love you, too. Hey, how you doing? Adam West. Yep. So, to take your Batman, and again, you know, this is a good story. Don't get me wrong. I like what they do here. To take your Batman and put it in this... It's a different Batman. Right. But to take this and then make it continuity, tie it into the regular Batman, you know, I'm not necessarily on board with that. This story kind of starts – your average story will have a Batman does A, villain does B, Batman does C, villain does D. This one starts with villain does D – Batman goes batshit. Villain does e. All hell breaks loose, and then we beat the crap out of an entire religion. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's way over the top, and over the top has its place. And this is still, in all, this is still a good story. It's the the imagery, the pictures are purdy as heck. Yeah. And if you if you don't necessarily spend a lot of time going well. I just read Dark Knight a few weeks ago because Stephen made me. <laughs> you know, it, it it works there too. If you don't try and break down the politics, that ending works. That ending works. It very does. Well. Yeah, it's poetic justice, but it's poetic justice of a, of a kind that I'm not really all that comfortable it's with. My like Batman a, housing, it's kind of like a Star Trek ending. I think there were several episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> that
1: ended that
2: same way. I, I thought, it was really you thought it was really weak. Prime directive! You thought it was weak? Oh, yeah, especially that ending. Because, yeah, it's like, oh, they've seen the weakness in him, but I, I I never thought that, like, why would they actually want to kill him? Like, it seemed to me like they would just be like, oh, and drop their weapons and walk out of the room. It's like, they needed him to die, they're going to have Batman kill him, mm-hmm. so it's hobos ended up killing him right for no reason
1: well because they've been told that they're going to be the
2: inheritors of the earth right and suddenly this
1: man has been shown to be a sham somebody who isn't all of what he says so let's
2: turn on him right but he never like betrayed them you know, no, only in mean, that it's he just lied like, to the all of them. a sudden you're just
1: all of a sudden, oh, you lied to me, now we're disillusions, we are nothing, our fight is over, we're not gonna be the inheritors of the earth like mm. you told us. And I and I you know there could be a whole religious discussion sure based on this thing about and I and I don't know what uh what anybody's religious beliefs are who may have been involved in this book, but it seems very
0: anti religion. Uh, I don't it's, think it's anti religion so much as it's
2: anti status quo yeah it's it's taken it's taking like the the, the pop mentality of cults right. and making a trying to make a cool batman story out of it it seems i mean it just takes yeah. elements of you know all the like the heaven's gate stuff yeah and well heaven's that, gate right. the, again didn't it, come it out later and
1: you know the whole but, it's interesting that a lot of these cult things except mm-hmm. for the mansons you know, a lot of these cult big cult events didn't happen until after this book came out. You know, the uh the Waco <laughs> what, thing what, what are you saying, didn't Steven? happen. I'm just saying it's just an interesting observation that after mm-hmm. this came out well that more people started to focus their attention on cults and let's blow mm-hmm.
0: up when did Ruby Ridge occur? Define a cult. Ruby Ridge, I believe, was ninety six. Okay. All right. What they I think what they're referring to and what they're you know, what the story is obliquely name checking is things like Jim Baker. And this is, you know, this is the late True. '80s, so yeah. this is going to be highly Jim Baker and Oral Roberts and the guys who were, who were, you know, involved in what they were, they thought they were in some sort of higher power or right. working for a right. greater good, and right. they were just out for themselves. Yeah, and that's what I that's what I saw this where, as organized religion. Yeah. Not even so much organized religion, but the people who organize things for their own benefit. I mean, the evangelism stuff that was going around in '87. 88, 89, you know, mm-hmm. all of the the, hoo the Jimmy swaggered, and the Oral Roberts, oh, I saw a 900-foot Jesus in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he you he told know. me,
1: give me a quarter or I'm going to die.
0: <laughs> John, I love you, and I want you to be a <laughs> pro golfer. But <laughs> you had... You had this whole air that religion itself was OK, but the people in charge of religion were a bunch of schmucks and they were all about their own money and big, you know, big money for them. And it was all about and the that's, same thing as taking over the city. It's about corruption.
1: Well, and that's the thing that that Batman discovers when he goes back into the sewer. This filth this where the followers are living. He's like, oh, now I'm finally going to get a chance to get into Blackfire's lair. And it's opulent, lush. They even make an Amelia Marcos reference, which is
2: kind of dates the story. Dated. But, uh, you know, you're, you're right. We see that corruption that's in there. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. There's, there's a lot of, like, little things that I didn't like about this story the, okay. that, that felt like plot, that felt like this needs to happen next. One of them is his followers turning on him. Um, another one is, like, Batman has had the shit beat out of him. He just got away from the cult, and he goes... I can't go to the Batcave where all my cool gadgets are and a new suit of armor is and all this awesome stuff is because then I would never come back out, which is, you know, reasonable. But it really seems like we need a reason for Batman to get back into the sewers right now. Otherwise, it's just not the same story. If if Batman comes back with a bat religion disperser, (laughs) then the story is over. We have to have a reason as to why Batman is coming back. Right. it felt very weak to me. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of silliness here that is glossed over. Like, you know, uh, taking over the city with an an army of winos from the sewers. I I, I just do not believe. That's not really realistic. And, you know, really, seriously, if this army of people are going through the streets and, and fighting crime, is it really that hard to say, well, I see this wacky army of people doing wacky things, but who's murdering our politicians? Yeah. You know, yeah. there are there are moments where I look at this and just go, "Eh, we just move on. It's a Starlin." Right. Jim Jim Starlin is one of those character writers. He does great character and great character moments, even going back to, you know, the stuff that made him famous, Warlock. Um, you know, all of these things that happened, Warlock also had an anti-religion tone to it, but mm-hmm. more an anti-corrupt religion tone. And if you go back and you read those warlock stories, there's some great warlock moments. There's some great moments with the mages. There's some great moments in here with Batman, maybe, sort of? Somebody who's like Batman. You know, they're really trying after
1: the Dark Knight, I think, to try to redefine who Batman is. And we even see that in the series that was also coming out in 1989, uh, Legends of the Dark Knight, which had the first story was called Shaman. And it features Batman going up and having a religious experience and how he got the Bat moniker in in that telling of the story. Brave Star. What? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you kind of see some of that stuff uh, going on in in that series uh, as well. And so people are really trying to redefine Batman.
2: Mm -hmm. I think for... People who are coming out of the disillusioned 80s. Uh, and and it's a little bit of of a grab bag. It's like people saying, like, oh, oh, I could be the one who redefines Batman. Right. And there's a lot of that going around. So you get some kind of um what I wanna say, like very disparate views on on what Batman is. Like this Batman, this Batman I kind of didn't like. Not necessarily because I feel that he should be that, you know ever-thinking automaton that cannot be daunted. He's got 15 minutes and and some despair. But sometimes, just in in the word choice sometimes, he kind of sounded like a regular guy. Well, did you
1: notice that in the art, when he is Batman, he is drawn very thin and meek, Mm -hmm. and yet after, well, of course, it's probably starvation, but after two weeks back at the mansion, he's Mm -hmm. back into a bulked-up Batman. You know, that says something, too. Uh, he ate I, a lot of cheeseburgers. That's what I think. IGN Comics ranked Batman: The Cult number six on its list of twenty-five greatest Batman graphic novels, saying that the story is told with uh, with brutality that makes it all the more powerful.
2: Where, where does Bat like be, like uh, Vampire Batman? Oh, uh, Red list. Rain. I do not know.
0: <laughs> I do not know. I move the mic away from my mouth, though I do not breathe, for <laughs> I'm a vampire.
1: Rodrigo, Batman: The Cult. Your thought, your final thoughts. Like it, hate it, give it a meatloaf rating. Did
2: not like... Should people read it? Did not like the art. Did not like the coloring. But there was something about the art that I just kind of fundamentally didn't like. It's not my thing at all. And usually I'm either drawn... Usually I'm drawn to a comic because of the art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why I've, you and Dante don't get along kind of okay. I very rarely am repelled from a comic by the art and I had a lot of trouble getting through the cult I did not Is it like more the, col- the art is it more the coloring or is it more the, the line work I think the line work is part of it there's just something about that kind of scratchy frequently kind of uh, sparse yeah. stuff that they do I didn't like the way Batman was drawn Um Batman with his crazy goggles was really yeah, kind of yeah. like killed it for me in, in 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 certain in in a particular aspect a lot of the time blackfire it, like his i i i didn't like i like some of the choices kind of like you know when the panel is white behind him and his hair is white, so he's just kind right. of like the outline of his face some of right. that stuff was cool but other than that i just there's just something about it that I didn't like um as far as the story. I didn't like this interpretation of Batman, again, just because I felt that he was written weird, not necessarily because, you know, he's not beating up bad guys mm-hmm. every second, although he spends plenty of time doing that. Right. And I felt that there were some points where it's like, beep, and this is where the plot has to do this, right. rather than a legitimate choice by a legitimate character.
1: Okay. Uh, Grayman24 up on the, forum, up the major spoiler site said, I have to say that this series kind of paled in retrospect. It seemed it took Batman to a place from which he should never recover. Blackfire destroyed Bruce's psyche, compelling him to do well. What exactly isn't clear, but he was definitely willing to use an automatic weapon, possibly to kill someone. Uh, And the scene with Jason Todd in the cavern of corpses was horrifying, not only at face value, but because Jason looked so obviously like a frightened little boy. Bernie Wrightson's art was incredible, really showing off the the, uh, EC look, but it seemed to me... More like it was a Batman story designed to show off this particular brand of art rather than his art highlighting aspects of the story.
0: Matthew, your thoughts? I like the art. I like Bernie, but again, I admit that Bernie is probably a bit of an acquired taste. So when you, you know if, if you look at it as just a, a, an art form, as a, as a work of art, mm-hmm. did it work for me? Mostly no. I, I felt like the story was about, let's put it this way. I needed the story to be a seven and the story was a 412. Mm,
1: okay. <laughs> it was, it was,
0: it was good. Bah, it blew out your story ears. It did. You know, this, this one went to 11 and even Nigel couldn't fix it. But more importantly, it was, I don't really know how to describe it. It was a moment where I I went through the story having wanted to love it and having, you know, in 1988 gone, wow, this must be great because everybody everybody wants to see it. And then, then, you know, with the the thing in the face and having read what I read and then kind of forgotten about it and moved on, I didn't remember the weird crypto – I don't want to say fascist, but woo-hoo-hoo going on with, you know, the politics of the story. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily remember a lot of the graphic violence. Yeah. Having not read the issue that had the gun, the gunning down sequence that, you know, had not bothered me before. So I think overall it mostly worked for me. If I had to give it a meatloaf rating, I don't know that I could. Really? Try yeah, I- Try
1: The big old pile of meatloaf has been put before you, and you've been asked to slice it into a number of pieces. How many slices do you slice it? Three? Alright. Rodrigo, did you give a meatloaf rating? No. You I'll give
2: it, it... I'll give it two.
1: Okay. You know, I, I read this as it came out. I really got a kick out of it at the time. I thought, man, here's some Batman stuff that I have never seen before even in uh, The Dark Knight Returns, we don't see some of this violence that we're seeing here. And this is a Batman comic, you know? Mm -hmm. This is DC Comics. There were scenes that I have have stuck in my mind over the years. The corpse scene always Mm -hmm. stuck in my mind. The uh, monster truck, Batmobile.
3: Bigfoot.
1: The Batman scaring the crap out of people so he could eat his eggs. And then a scene where... (laughs) Boogity-boogity. There's a scene where uh, there's this young lad who really wants to be an artist. He wants to be just like Jack Kirby.
2: Yeah.
1: And to help make ends meet, he is running numbers for one of the local mob people. And he's like, well, you know, it's not like I'm selling drugs or being a pimp or I'm not doing drugs. I'm just running numbers and where's the harm in that? And then he gets the killed. Hobos, the hobos come out of nowhere and just beat the crap out and him, beat him to death. And that was Seventhly a scene that killed him. That's a scene that always struck in my mind for for whatever reason was that imagery. But, you know, a lot of the other story points I had forgotten over time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so going back and rereading this again this past week, I was kind of like Matthew, maybe a little disappointed, maybe like a gray man, maybe a little disappointed in retrospect of what I remember the story being and what it looks like now. Really the coloring was. the really the coloring turned it off for me. Mm-hmm. Still after all this time. Uh, the story, you know, suspension of disbelief, right? Yeah. Uh, but I could kind of go with the flow of it. I still like this mm-hmm. and I still would recommend it for people. I'm gonna give it four slices of meatloaf out of mm. that. I, I really do like it for for the entire package for what it is. I like it better if it's a standalone story and not yeah. part of continuity, just like Dark Knight Returns is. Um, well. It's going to be interesting to see how they use Deacon Blackfire in The Blackest Night, or if Mm -hmm. he's just there for a gimmick going, Hey, kids, I've got a new trade paperback coming out soon.
2: Hey, were you reading comics in the 80s?
1: Then you'll enjoy me. Or you weren't reading comics in the 80s, and hey, it's a chance to resell to a new audience. So I'm still going to recommend it, Rodrigo. You're probably not going to recommend it. No,
0: probably
2: not. Matthew? I would. um,
0: Maybe more as a curiosity than anything else. Okay.
1: There you go. It's the cult. We're kind of uh, split kind of three ways on that. Mm-hmm. Three different opinions. Um, you can check it out for yourself. Like I said, it's going to be really hard to track down the trade unless uh, Gatekeeper Comics and Hobbies has one in the, in the um, back bins. There is a new trade collection of this coming out. Maybe after this discussion, maybe you'll pick it up. Maybe you won't. I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you for sticking around with us. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Hopefully we've entertained you. Are you
0: not entertained?
1: Be sure to check out the website pagerspoilers.com for more reviews, news, and interviews. We're going to be back next Tuesday with an all-new full-length show. We've got another little after-show discussion coming up on Saturday. I don't even know what we're going to look at next week. We're going to have to discuss that after the show, but it's going to be something that is going to provoke some discussion because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash Majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash Majorspoilers.
3: what a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Starkraven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in the fun Being the Middle East With a gangsta and throwing soldiers what a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. Wow, wow, wow. What a major spoiler.
0: Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009.